with me please to the passage which we read there in the Gospel of Mark just reading the first verse the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God I think somebody has well said that the Gospel is neither a discussion nor is it a debate the gospel is quite simply an announcement a proclamation and Mark here the writer of this second gospel he wastes no time in telling us what he is about as he is writing this gospel it is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of God what Mark is saying is here is how it all started now gospel means good news and that is what we have in this gospel, in this book that is what Mark is going to tell us about it is the good news particularly about Jesus Christ, the Son of God it is good news for people concerning him concerning what he has done and friends this is the heart of our religion this is what makes the gospels so important in the Christian faith they tell us about Jesus Christ the son of God who is good news for sinners and our notions of who Jesus is and of what Christianity is must be fashioned by this word but the point is of course this is good news for us good news for such as you and me and because it is this it is vital it is important it is vital that you and I and all men make the right response to this word to this good news so Mark as it were lays it on the line this is the gospel he says this is how it started concerning Jesus Christ and this is the proclamation Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel that sums it up sums it up in Jesus' own words and that is Mark's burden as he comes to write this book his burden for Gentiles like you and me and as Mark develops this good news his emphasis will be on Jesus as a man of action and Jesus as a servant of God as a servant who was sent to minister to suffering people and sent to die for their sins for even we read in chapter 10 for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many but who was this Mark who wrote this gospel 
which we're going to look at. Well, it seems quite likely that Mark was an eyewitness of the things that he records here. From Acts chapter 12, we learn that Mark and his mother lived in Jerusalem. He seems to have been close to the Apostle Peter, and tradition has it that uh, he was, as it were, Peter's chronicler, that he reflects in his gospel uh, Peter's experiences. Whether that's true or not, certainly Mark was close to Peter, and indeed also at one stage to Paul in the early life or the life of the early church. But what a wonderful sketch Mark provides of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. And as we start looking at this sketchbook this morning, I'd like us to notice from the first 15 verses here three simple things about the good news that Mark announces, that he introduces for us here. And the first is the preparation. And then there is the provision. And finally, the proclamation. So first of all, really from verses 2 through verse 8, there is the preparation. Now a vitally important thing about Jesus Christ is simply that he was all that he claimed to be. And Mark is conscious of this. If people aren't going to shrug their shoulders and to say, so what about the gospel? There need to be witnesses witnessing that what is claimed for Jesus is true about Jesus. And it is true. And Mark brings these witnesses before us. The first witnesses he brings are prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament whom he quotes in verses 2 and 3, Malachi and Isaiah. The prophets witness to the one who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist witnesses to him. You see the prophets prophesy about the forerunner, about Jesus' forerunner, who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, who would introduce Jesus. And John the Baptist prepares the way by his preaching. And his preaching is gospel preaching. Look at the elements of it here. He preaches a baptism of repentance and a remission of sins. He preached, in other words, that men and women should repent of sin and turn to God. He preached that when they do so, this will be their experience, that they will know the forgiveness of sins. When you confess your sin, when you feel and express sorrow for sin, then all your sins are washed away. That is the experience of the one who is truly repentant, sorrowful for their sin. That is what remission means, that the sins, your sins are washed away. This is what baptism indicates. Now, this is what men and women and young people and boys and girls need. Because we're sinners. This is what the gospel brings. Forgiveness of sin. And the message simply is, turn your back upon sin and you'll know forgiveness 
from the Lord. John is preparing the way. He's preparing the way in calling for repentance, in calling for turning to God. Look at John, John the Baptist. There he is in the wilderness. There he is on the western shore of the Dead Sea. And in many ways that's symbolical. Because it's telling the people who were coming to him, you are in a spiritual wilderness. And that is a far worse wilderness than any physical wilderness might be. Who is going to save you from your spiritual wilderness? That is where the gospel comes in. There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. John's message and John's baptism are preparing the way for Jesus. And in the same way, sinners need to be pointed to Jesus Christ. But you see how John focuses there on the essentials, on repentance, on the forgiveness of sins. The essential message of John and the essential response confession of sin and turn your back upon sin and a sinful lifestyle what John expresses here is a preparation for Jesus Christ and it is an essential part of the gospel but notice the provision that there is in the gospel Jesus is the provision for men and women. He is the one through whom there is forgiveness. He is the one to whom John pointed as mightier than him, who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. And this is all demonstrated as we read in verses 9 through 13 in uh, Jesus' baptism and in his temptation in the wilderness. In the, at the river Jordan there the Spirit comes upon him as a dove. The Father speaks from heaven and identifies Jesus as his beloved Son. And the Father expresses pleasure in his Son. Now why was Jesus baptized? Was he baptized because he needed cleansing the sort of thing that baptism points to? Not at all. He didn't allow himself to be baptized because of any sin of his own, because he had no sin. Not because he needed to repent, because he didn't. Jesus allowed himself to be baptized to identify himself with sinful men. And it is the first indication in the ministry of Jesus Christ of himself standing in the place of sinners. Jesus, you see, left heaven's glory and he identified himself with sinners. He identified himself with them in his birth, of course, and he identifies himself with them in his baptism. He identifies himself with sinners in his life and, of course, above all, in his death. He identifies himself with sinners in his temptation. 
He endured that also for sinners. So that we can say, He is God's provision for sinners. He is the promised Savior. He is the mighty one of whom John speaks, who is far above John, who is far above anyone, because he is the Son of God. No mere man. And the good news is that there is provision for sinners, not in a sinful man, but in a sinless Son of God. This is the Jesus of the Gospel. This is the Jesus that Mark is introducing us to. This is the Jesus who has provided for the forgiveness of sins in himself. This is the Jesus who claims belief, who claims trust from sinners like us, who claims your allegiance this morning. And being a Christian, what does it mean? It means accepting the kingship of Jesus. It means accepting his authority. Being a Christian means accepting him in whom God the Father was well pleased. As the letter to the Hebrews puts it, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is the Jesus, you see, whom Mark introduces to us. This is the Jesus presented to us in the Gospel. This is the Jesus I offer to you this morning for your belief for your acceptance. The preparation, the provision. I'd like us to notice in the third place the proclamation. And I'm thinking here of verses 14 and 15. Because we see here how Jesus himself begins his ministry as Mark records it. How Jesus himself, as it were, sets out his stall. What is important in religion to Jesus himself? What is important in religion to Jesus himself? Now there's a fair bit of confusion these days about what are the fundamentals of the faith, what are the fundamentals of the Christian religion. There is not a little confusion and there's not a little doubt. And there seems to be a bit of hesitation about being extreme one way or the other. Was Jesus extreme? Well, certainly he was this. He was radical in his demands. See his first priority. It wasn't social work. It wasn't fundraising. It wasn't debating about the existence of God or any such thing. His first priority was simply proclamation. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. In what did that consist? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. It consisted of this. The time is fulfilled. In other words, the time has now arrived and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now it's simple, isn't it? 
essentially the same message as the one who had prepared the way for Jesus as John's message. Jesus' message also, the kernel, the core, the fundamental of the faith for you and for me, for folks out there, for your neighbors, for every man. This message, repent and believe in the gospel, that's all. That's all that is required to become a believer, to become a Christian. Repent and believe in the gospel. It is a command, of course. Jesus expresses it as a command. It isn't a debating point for him. It is a command. It is radical. It involves a change. A change in your lifestyle, a change in your heart, a change in your mind, a turnabout. But then, this is why he came. He comes with authority. He comes with authority of God himself, who looking upon his son said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He comes with authority and he says, nothing less than this, you surrender to me in faith. Friends, he didn't come for a political revolution. He didn't come even for an ecclesiastical reorganization. He didn't come for social justice. He came with the gospel of repentance and faith. And he is at the heart of it. It is the gospel of the kingdom because faith in the Savior brings you into his kingdom. And his kingdom is simply where he rules, where he is king, where he rules in people's lives. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Mark says here in verse 1, because he is at the center of it. Without his life, without his death, without his resurrection, there is no good news. Only one gospel. It centers on Jesus Christ. On what he did for people. This is the gospel we proclaim to. It is the gospel of the historic Christian faith. Which we maintain. It is the gospel of all who receive God's word. As his word to ailing, sinful humanity. The question is, have you obeyed yet his command? Can you claim for yourself this morning, as you sit here, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ? Can you say with Charles Wesley, Thou, O Christ, are all I want. More than all in thee I find. Raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick and lead the blind. Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness. Vile and full of sin I am. Thou art full of truth and grace. Let me just say a word in conclusion. 
You know, my dear friends, it's a great responsibility to get up to a pulpit. It's a great responsibility because of the importance and the seriousness of the message. What is the concern of the pulpit? Simply what we have here, introduced and announced by Mark, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is my concern for being here, the proclamation of this message. I was hearing just this week, somebody told me of uh, a father-in-law who was a godly man and he was laid aside in sickness and somebody who had been preaching in the kirk an old man himself actually came to visit him this Lord's day and the old man said the man on his sickbed said to the other old man who had been preaching in the kirk he said never go up the pulpit steps unless you have the gospel that is the concern of the Christian faith it is the concern of the word of God and it means this showing how God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ it means it means urging people to confess sin and to turn around and put their trust in Jesus Christ and to believe in him with all their hearts this is fundamental to the Christian faith and it is my task and it is my privilege in being here. It means good news for sinners. It isn't a dreary message. The forgiveness of sins can never be a dreary thing. It is good news. At least it is good news for those who receive it. Because it is only those who receive it who will know the forgiveness of sins. Ultimately, there is no other motive for preaching or for teaching the Word of God. Jesus is the need of mankind. Jesus is the only beloved Son of God. Jesus is the one who endured temptation for his people. Jesus is the one who endured the cross for his people. Can you say, Jesus, the very thought of thee? with sweetness fills my breast does the thought of Jesus fill your heart with sweetness this morning this is the concern of the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of God that you and I might know him that you and I might have him as saviour that you and I might turn around and lay a hold upon him. He is here. He offers salvation. It is full and is free. It is for you. I just want to end with a story. I think I've just about time. And it concerns the great Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I don't know if many of you folks know how Spurgeon himself was converted. But one day he was going along to church and it was a day of quite inclement weather in the winter there was a snowstorm and he didn't get to the place he intended to go instead of that he went down a side street in this town that he was in 
and he found a little Methodist chapel there, a primitive Methodist chapel. And I suppose the preacher of this place had difficulty also getting there because it wasn't the minister who was preaching, it was just a, an ordinary old man. And there he went into this congregation and there were only about 14 or 15 people present. And he went and he sat under the gallery at the back. And the man didn't have much competence in his preaching. And he stuck very close to his text, says Spurgeon, which was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he was urging the people to look to Jesus Christ. And uh, Spurgeon said, he seemed to come to the end of his tether, and his eye fixed upon himself there under the gallery. And this preacher said, young man, you look miserable. And Spurgeon said he was miserable, really, but he'd never been addressed that way from the pulpit before. And he says, you will remain miserable in life and in death unless you obey this command, look unto me and be ye saved and he repeated it he said look to him look to him and be saved and Spurgeon said that if he got nothing else out of the sermon he looked salvation became clear to him he said he looked till it seemed as if he'd looked his eyes away but he found the Saviour. And dear friends, this is the concern of the Gospel. To look to Jesus Christ. The one who is presented to us here. This is the essence of the Gospel and of the Christian faith. It is for me. It is for you. It is for all men. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May the Lord bless these thoughts upon his word. Let us pray. Eternal and gracious God, our Father, we lift up our hearts in worship and in praise this morning. We thank Thee for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is still the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And we thank Thee, O Lord, for Jesus Christ, that He is not a dead man, but a living Saviour. So help us to look to Him and be saved. O Lord, guide us this day in all that we do and think and say. Help us, Lord, to follow Thee and to trust in thee and cleanse us from all our sin in Jesus' precious name. Amen.